Every year around Thanksgiving, we see one face plastered all over everything. That face belongs to Santa. Santa is seen by many as a beloved cultural icon. But I ask you, what do we really know about this Santa? Sure, he supposedly represents giving and generosity. But from the Christian perspective, he is clearly evil. Don't believe me? Can you think of someone other than Santa who dresses all in red and has little underlings doing his bidding? Oh yeah, that's right. The devil. And is it any coincidence that if you rearrange the letters in Santa, you get Satan? I think not. So instead of volunteering in my community or giving to World Vision or the Salvation Army, this Christmas... I'm going to wage war on Santa, because that's the Christian thing to do. This has been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. We uh, like to make fun of ourselves and other things, so it's okay to laugh. How many of you um, had someone make fun of your name when you were in school growing up? Um... Washburn is kind of a unique name. And so uh, in elementary school, I heard all kinds of variations. Um, one, of my fav- one of my best friends was Cedric, but Cedric liked to make fun of my name. And Cedric would call me Wash and Wear. Stupid. He'd call me Wash Tub. He would call me Washington. And I'm like, where, where do you get that? And then his favorite was, hey, Wash and Burn. And then he would laugh. <laughs> And I'd think, you're such an idiot. That doesn't even bother me because it's so stupid. But, but I think we, some of you have some pretty creative names and you were asking your parents, what in the world were you thinking when you named me this? But you also know people whose names are pretty jacked up, right? And, and you're, you're definitely going, oh man, those poor kids. And probably the most famous in Texas is a hog. You remember her? I'm a. Now, there's also Ura, but I actually did some studying, and there's no such thing as a Ura. That, that part's made up. But there was an I'm a hog, and she was the first lady of Texas. Um, and, and don't you know, she was just waiting, counting the days till she got married. Because anything, I'm a Washburn, that's better than I'm a hog. Come on, anything. But I came across some real names, real names for your enjoyment uh, that I'm going to put up on the screen. One of my favorites that I heard about um, before we do this is, is the, the lady named Helen. Hang on, don't put them up there yet. There's a lady named Helen who married a man named B-A-C-K-E. Helen Back. I thought it was funny. Okay, go ahead and put the first one up there. You already saw this one? Anita Mann. Do you know... Now, in, in first grade, they don't have a clue, but as you get older, teenage years, oh, that's bad. Next one. <laughs> Billboard. I like this next one. That's kind of... Okay, this next one is one of my favorites. Dawn bash into my car. <laughs> Pretty good. That, that one's creative. Next one. Here's a good one. Elementary. And this one, this next poor girl, she, you know, she got a hard time. 
Go ahead. I leaned over. This next one's pretty good. It's okay. Joking. This one's awesome. And then the last one. I don't know a child who's born who doesn't fit that name when they come out the womb. Wendy Bottom. Poor kids. I'm including all of us, not just my children. All of us could, could be the Wendy Bottoms at one time or another. You know, the parents thought they were being so cute when they were giving these names out. But really what they were doing was they were cursing their children to a lifetime of ridicule. Now, names didn't used to always be that way. We didn't just name children, you know, in, in the human race. We didn't name them just because it was cute or we thought somebody would give them a hard time or make fun of it. Back in the day, um, you, you named your children. You could, you could name them because it sounded like something or because someone had a certain career or a certain job. So you could be named like I'm a baker or you could be named uh, Carpenter or Smith, something like that. You could be named after a relative that, that uh, the parents really um, thought were fond of. You could be named Johnson, Jackson, things like that. Or you could be named for the situation you were in. There, there is one person in the Old Testament named Jabez, and his, his name means painful because his mom birthed him in a very painful situation. How would you like the Misery, come here. Misery, you remind I had so much labor when you were born. You know, that's, that's not a real fun thing to do, but that's why she named him, because she had so much pain in labor. But most often, parents in biblical times named their children, not for how the the name sounded, but because there was some character trait that they saw in them. And so when you gave someone your name, or when you named someone, you were naming them based on their number one character trait. We talked about this several weeks ago in our Life's Healing Choices series. We were talking about Jacob. You remember, Jacob means manipulator or deceiver, and, and he lived up to his name. But there was also a tradition uh, back in, in um, certainly in Middle Eastern times, that sometimes the parents weren't even the ones who named the child. Many times this would go, the privilege of naming a child would go to a grandparent. And so the grandparents took this very, very seriously. And sometimes they wouldn't even get a name for several weeks because the grandparents wanted to watch the child, figure out what his or her character uh, traits were, and then they were going to name the child based on those character traits, what they observed. So with that idea of naming, I want us to go to a a passage in the Old Testament and I want us to look at the names that were given to this baby that we're, we're celebrating his birth, Jesus Christ, in just a few weeks. Some of the names that were given to him. Let's read this in Isaiah chapter 9. This is our, uh, verse 6 is our theme for this whole month as we're looking at the names that Isaiah gave to Jesus. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now part of the cool thing about this is 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah was a prophet. And so 700 years before this baby ever makes an appearance on the planet, God gives him some revelation about what's going to happen. And as he sees into the future, he's, he's seeing this. Somehow God communicated this to him. He said, there's going to be a baby born, and it's not going to be an average child. It will be the child, the Messiah. And then he starts thinking about the character of this child, and the character is so incredible. He can't just give it one name. Grandpa Isaiah says, we got to give this child many names. And there's four particular names that we're going to look at. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. No other child in history was going to make the impact that this child would make. 
You may not realize that every time you write a check, you are, you are making reference to whose life? 2009 years since what? Since Christ was born. Every time um, you, you reference your birthday or today's date or whatever's going on, you are make a, making a reference to the fact that Jesus Christ was a real person who lived and split history in two. B.C. means before Christ. A.D. means Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. So no other baby that was born at any time in history had the impact that this child did. And when Isaiah, Grandpa Isaiah starts thinking about it, he says, Oh, this, this child is just incredible. So we're going to look at this first name, Wonderful Counselor, that Grandpa Isaiah gave to Jesus. And when, when Isaiah was thinking about this first name, this is incredible. He said, this, this character is going to be so great in this child that he had to coin a new term. There wasn't even a term for this wonderful counselor in, in their language until he coined it. And here's what he did. He combined two Hebrew words. The first was Pele, which means beyond understanding, too wonderful for words. First thing is, so wonderful we can't describe it, but we're going to try. And then the second term was Yatz, which means to advise, to counsel, to guide. So he says, there's going to come a day... Because you got to understand that the political situation that was going on right then, the, the spiritual situation in, in Jerusalem was bad. It was getting from bad to worse. It was going downhill. And Isaiah looks into the future and he says, it's not always going to be this way. There's going to come a day when the Pele Yachts, the wonderful, too wonderful for words, counselor, guide is going to be born. And things are going to change. Now, I don't know if you've ever done anything where you've had a guide, but Janie and I went to... Uh, uh, Dunn's River Falls uh, a few weeks ago uh, on our trip. Put that up there, Ashley. The, the cool thing about this, this is in Jamaica. We were on our cruise and, and this was our little shore excursion. We ride a bus a couple hours and we go to this falls. These falls are 600 feet tall and the really cool thing is they go right out on the beach to the ocean. And so you walk down all of these steps and you get out on the beach and the first thing they do is they put you in a group of people because what you're going to do, you're going to walk up, you can see back there in the background, see the people walking up together and you hold hands. Because this is very slippery, you, they won't let you go barefooted and you have to rent some stuff and it's actually a scam that you have to rent some shoes and have the right type of shoes on so that you can go up these falls. But what they do is they, they introduce you to a guide and he says, I'm going to take care of you this whole trip. So if you have cameras, they tell you, first of all, not to take cameras that aren't waterproof. But people do, because we're dorks. And so if you have, if your group has cameras, video cameras, any type of camera that's not waterproof, the guide will take them. Now, he's barefooted, so I don't understand that. But anyway, he's barefooted, he takes all your cameras, and he starts walking you up the falls. Now, there are some places the water is coming so powerfully that if you try to stand there, it will wash you off. You'll, you'll end up on the beach, headed out to the sea, because it's, it's so powerful. So they say, don't step there. Mon, you know, they teach you to say a little bit of Jamaican, and I'm so white, I can't do it, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but they'll say, don't step there. And so you're holding on hands, and you're, you're getting to know people that you never would hold hands with in, in, in any other situation. Janie and I are there together, and then, you know, people, and you're just pulling them up, and you quickly find out who you can trust and who you can't. But one person you can trust all the way up the falls is this guide. And, and so they'll stop you in different places. That water's cold. Stinking cold, and they'll make you get down underneath the falls and take pictures, you know, and you're grinning. It was cold. But I felt fairly confident in my ability to make it up the falls. But I couldn't be a guide. They wouldn't let me. I tried. I volunteered. Not really. 
Why, why couldn't I be a guide? I'd never been there before. And if you're you know, going to pay someone and you're going to pay some type of insurance to keep people from being hurt, you need a guide who's been up and down those falls so many times that they know every place to go. Because let me tell you, we had all kinds of differing abilities in our group. We had some folks that you had to drag over the falls, both hands. And I'm thinking, I don't know them. What would happen? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, because that would have been cool. No, not really. The whole idea is that the guide has to know every nook and cranny. He has to know the safe places to step and the not-so-safe places to step. And anytime someone would break off from the group, two or three guides heard you like sheep, cattle, back into the line. Hold hands, you hold hands, go up here, step here, you know, all the way up. And then they stick their hand out for a tip, which, you know, they say, I take care of you, you take care of me, that type of deal. Now, I want you to think about the guide idea because it's the same with your Pele Yachts who is born at this, and we celebrate it at this time of year. And I want you to think about this wonderful guide, this wonderful counselor as we read Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. This high priest talking about Jesus, talking about the Pele Yachts, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. So he's a guide that understands everything that you've been through. How could he possibly understand that? Well, look at the next part of the verse. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. You don't need a guide who is as sinful as you are. You don't need a God who is as sinful as you are or as powerful as you are. You and I need a God bigger than us. A God who is in control in all situations. Who can raise the dead. Who can raise a, a, a dead marriage. Who can resurrect a dead marriage. That's the type of God we need. And the Bible says this Pele Yacht, Jesus Christ, was God, came, and he suffered all kinds of temptations like you and I do. But he never sinned. And because he came, and he was a human, and suffered through it, and did not sin. Look at the next part of the verse. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. A lot of religions teach that you need to fear. And we, we do talk about fear as in respect God. But some will not even talk about They can't even say the name of their God because they're afraid because he's an angry God and he's just looking to punish. That's not what this verse says. This verse says, come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And I want you to think about this. God could have chosen any way he wanted to to communicate with us. But since he designed us, he knew the best way to communicate was face to face. So if, if God wanted to communicate with birds, how would he have come? As a bird. If he'd want to communicate with cows, how would he have come? The big fat cow. But God wanted to communicate with humans, so he came as a human. And, and the cool thing is he didn't send some ambassador. If you read uh, in Hebrews, very first few verses of Hebrews, it says that in the old times God spoke to us through prophets, through dreams and visions in various ways. And it says, but now, talking about Christ coming, Christmas, but now God has spoken to us in his son. He didn't send an ambassador. He sent his son. And the Bible says that in the beginning, God, the, the, the word was with God. The word is Jesus Christ. And the word was God. God sent himself to come and be our wonderful counselor, our wonderful guide. And do you know who specifically he came for? 
This is on your listening guide. The sick. Jesus was always getting in trouble because he hung out with people who needed a counselor. (laughs) Imagine that. He's the wonderful counselor. He hangs out with people who need a counselor, a wonderful guide. And in hanging out with the riffraff of society, he met a man named Matthew, or in some places he's called Levi, same guy. He was a tax collector. If you know anything about the Jews, you know that tax collectors were lower, and I'm not making this up, they were lower than dung collectors in society. You did not hang out with tax collectors because they were traitors. They would extort money from you to give to Rome, and everybody hated Rome. And so anybody that was a tax collector basically said, I I am cutting myself off from my family for money. And so if you're a tax collector, you know money's more important to you than relationships. So you know the only people you can hang out with are other tax collectors. So Matthew meets Jesus, and and Jesus heals him from from his sickness in in his past. And he's so grateful. He says, i got to do something. i got to do something. What am I going to do? I can get my friends together. All my friends are tax collectors because I don't know anybody else, and I can't hang out with anybody else. So what I'll do is I'll throw a party, and I'll invite all of my tax collector friends, and I'll invite Jesus. And Jesus goes because that's where he hung out. He lived to hang out with, with those type of people. And so the people, the religious leaders who thought they were guides, they come to Jesus and they sneer at him. They say, what are you doing hanging out with those kind of people? Don't you know? They don't go to church. They cuss. They drink fermented drinks. They go to R-rated movies. What are you doing hanging out with them? And look what Jesus says. Luke chapter 5. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus said, I came to help, and really my help is only good for those who know they're sick, who know they need help. And when you're sick, where do you go? Doctor, right? Well, I have good news and bad news for you today. The bad news is you're sick. We're all sick. The good news is the doctor will see you. For many people, this time of year is not good news. Have you noticed that? For many people, Christmas is not a happy time. It's pressure, not pleasure. It's stress. Have you noticed that? Have you ever wondered why? It's because I think Christmas magnifies our sicknesses. Think this through with me. If you're depressed... Christmas tends to magnify your depression. If you're lonely, Christmas magnifies your loneliness. If you have family sickness, and I'm talking about relational sickness, I'm not talking about physical sickness, relational sickness, what do family gatherings do? Do they smooth over all of the rough places in your relationships? Oh, no, no, no. You get bucket-headed people with relational sickness under one roof, Stuff happens. Stuff comes out. If you have relational sickness, bitterness, resentment, anger, all of those things are magnified at this time of year. And and here's the good news about Christmas. No matter what your sickness is, and you're sick, I'm sick. No matter what our sickness is, Christmas is the best news you could ever receive. So, how how do we... Apply this best news because what we have to do is is realize that the wonderful counselor is available. 
How do I get made well at this wonderful time of year? Well, four quick things. Number one, you've got to admit you're sick. I haven't met anybody yet who goes out on a joyride, you know, we're just going to go riding around, who who's just kind of haphazardly winds up at the doctor's office. Y'all ever done that? Oh, we're just going for a drive, just going to go have fun, go sightsee, wind up at the doctor's office? No. You make a conscious choice to go to the doctor's office. And some of you need to make that decision today. I told you this several weeks ago, but I'm going to repeat it again. If you are in relational conflict, guess what? God's trying to get your attention. The wonderful counselor will see you now. Second thing is you've got to be brutally honest with that counselor. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? Jesus is sitting by a well. It's at noon. He sends his disciples into town to get some food. Jesus knew there was a divine appointment coming up, and this woman comes to the well. Now, typically women wouldn't come in the heat of the day, but this woman was an outcast. Jesus knew it. Jesus was hanging out, waiting for her. He starts this conversation, and when he does, he breaks all kinds of social rules. Number one, he was talking to a Samaritan. That was just against the rules. Number two, he was a teacher talking to a woman against the rules. So there's all these these things. He breaks the rules to talk to this woman. And they start just kind of chit-chatting about different things and, and you know, about the water and, and how he's going to get a drink and all of this stuff. Finally, Jesus cuts through everything. And look what he says to her. Uh, John four sixteen and 17. Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come back here. And the woman said, I don't have a husband. And, and Jesus says, yeah, I know. You've had five husbands. And the dude you're hanging out with now, that you're living with, is not your husband. Jesus goes, I know. You see, she came to a truth-telling moment. And, and, uh, and she could have lied. Have you ever done that? Lied to make yourself look better? Lied so that someone will think you're better off than you are? Lied so that no one will know the truth about your sickness? Have you ever thought about what her sickness is? Her sickness is she desperately wanted to be loved and accepted. And some of you are going, dude, that's all of us. Yeah? But she put all of her hope and faith in a man... In a man, can you say, that's stupid. Because as human beings, we were made to have a relationship with God, to be loved and accepted by God. Anything less than God, and we will be severely disappointed. So ladies, you ever put your hope and faith in a man and been disappointed? No elbows, please. Just a little smirk, that's all I need. I I, I realize you're acknowledging Guys, you ever put all of your hope and faith in being loved and accepted in a woman? You are setting yourself up for failure, for heartbreak and disappointment. You need to be loved by God, the wonderful counselor. And you got to be brutally honest with him about your sickness. If you want to be healed, you got to be honest. Jesus revealed himself to this woman precisely because she was honest. I don't have a husband, sir. And she becomes a Christ follower and runs back and tells the whole city that she was avoiding. Oh, come and and meet this one. I think he's the Messiah. Come. And the Bible says that because of her testimony, this outcast, this woman who'd been, who who had a bad reputation, the whole city comes to know. And they said to Jesus, at first we believed because she said, but now we've heard you ourselves and we believe that you're the Christ. God can take anybody, any sickness and use it for his glory if you'll be honest about that. Sickness. 
Y'all see this? My foot's been hurting for a long time. And I've been whining and complaining at home. You know what my wife's been telling me for months? Go to the doctor. I don't need a doctor. If I think positive, it's going to get well on its own. It's not getting well on its own. So I wear Crocs. Any of y'all wear Crocs? I'm, I'm serious. The only thing I can wear is Crocs. Otherwise, it hurts. It, it's almost crippling. It's like this... this uh, I have, Janie tells people that I've, I've called, I've come crawling into the house before because my foot hurt so bad and I could not walk on it. So I wear Crocs. So my sister-in-law, Janie's sister, is a, an x-ray technician. And uh, my wife has been saying t- to me for months, go let Becky x-ray it. And I said, I don't want to go. Not, not anything about Becky. I just didn't want to go because they're not going to do anything. So anyway, I've, I finally decided to go. It's hurting. I'm like, it's not getting better. Let's go. So I go up there and, and the doctor comes in and he's pushing on my foot, you know, and checking things. And he's saying, you, tell me what's going on. I'm telling him what's going on. He said, let's take some pictures. My sister-in-law takes me back to the x-ray place and makes me sit in various poses the poses are real. Okay, let me tell you this. And as she's walking in the other room, you know, because at least the technicians are smart enough not to get the radiation. You know, they go to a room that's radiation protected and you get... Um, so she's going in there. She's looking through the window and she busts out laughing. She said, I so wish I had my camera to document the poses that you're in because they're not exactly manly. So as I was preparing this, I thought... Let's go make some pictures. The pictures are real. The expressions are, are not necessarily. Here, here's the first one. They get better. Next one. He's telling me to have it tilted just a little bit so that it's like this. And, and she's laughing as she's going back to take my picture. Ha, ha, ha. Next one. I don't know where the pink sweatshirt came from. That's just wrong. And the last one. I was working on my blue steel. Y'all ever seen Zoolander? That's, that's my blue steel look. But my son said he would pray for me because he said, that's just wrong. <laughs> he said, my dad, I think there's something wrong. And I said, you're right, son. And I'm being honest with the doctor that there's something wrong with my foot, not with my head. <laughs> Here's the deal. Yeah, take that off. We need to get rid of that. Okay. If I go to the doctor and I say, there's nothing wrong with my foot, how can the doctor help me? He can't. And, and by the way, I didn't know this. I get this little boot thing, and, and it has this piece of paper that I have to sign. And at the top, it says WHB. And I thought, okay, I'd just sign it and send it in. Women's Health Boutique is where this boot came from. That made me feel good. Um, but you've got to be honest. And here's the point. Some of you need to be brutally honest that you're sick. You're pretending you've got it all together, and you don't. And as long as you pretend you've got it all together, the wonderful counselor cannot help you. So it's time to be honest. And here's what I want to ask you. If, if you're not honest this Christmas, one year from today, where are you going to be? You're going to be just as addicted... And some of your addictions are to power, some of it's to money, some of it's to sex, some of it's to drugs, some of it's to pornography. 
You're going to be further from God. You're going to be further from your spouse if you're married. You're going to be further from where you want to be, where God wants you to be, if you're not honest about your sickness. So why not come? Why not let the Pele Yachts be your guide and your doctor this Christmas season? Doesn't that make sense? And see, when, when you quit pretending, the counselor says, give it to me. I can take it. And look what it says in Psalm 55, 22. Give your burdens to the Lord. Anybody here have burdens? Let me see your hand. Anybody got a burden? Anybody got a burden? The deal is you can carry it yourself or you can give it to the wonderful counselor. Give your burdens to the Lord and He will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Notice there's a little thing there. Godly. doesn't say God-like or that we are God's. When you're godly is when you're allowing Christ to work in you. You're allowing Christ to be the boss of your life. You're allowing Christ to chip off the rough edges in your life. And he says, when you're doing that, I'll not let you fall. No matter how many husbands or wives you've had, no matter how many stops in jail you've had, no matter how much drugs, sex, alcohol that you've had, if you are letting me work in your life, the Pele Yachts will heal you and use you to reach others. That's just incredible to me. Third thing you got to do, after you're honest, is listen to the counselor's voice. Shortly before Jesus was crucified, he'd been teaching this was a really cool time to be a follower of Christ because crowds were big, people were loving Jesus. He pulls his, his inner circle. You know, he had 12 followers, 12 uh, apostles that we call them, um, he pulls three of them aside, Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. They were called the sons of thunder. Uh, he pulls them aside, and he takes them up on this mountain with him. And, you know, it's got to be really cool. If you're, if you're a follower of the rabbi, the coolest rabbi, the most powerful rabbi, the one who heals from distance, you know, one time he healed a boy 38 miles away just by saying he's healed. You've seen him raise Lazarus from, from the dead. I mean, you've seen a lot of really cool stuff. And so you're in the inner circle. You get to go on top of this mountain. And my mind just racing, cool, cool, we get to go up there. So they're all on top, and all of a sudden it says that when they're at the top, this is called the transfiguration of Jesus. Big long word, and all that means is, while they're looking at Jesus, he gets real shiny. It's kind of a a, a future uh, foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to look like in his heavenly body. He starts glowing in the middle of the day. And I'm sure they're going, that's cool. And then Moses and Elijah come up and they're shiny too. And they're talking together. Jesus and Moses and Elijah, they're talking and they're talking about Jesus going to die. But Peter, James and John, they're going, this is cool. This is so cool. This is, this is so cool. That Peter goes, hey, Jesus, instead of, instead of listening and checking out, he goes, hey, Jesus, I've got an idea. Let's pitch some tents so we can hang out here because what they used to do was they, they would make these tents. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles and they would hang out and they would feast and just party, yay, Jesus, let's hang out here. And I want you to see what happens. Turn the page. That's what happens. Mark 9, 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them. Now, that's wrong right there. I know who did it. Ashley's going, I didn't do it. I know exactly who did it. You did that to God's word, man. Anything else, you could have done that to. But don't put me in a pink thing with blue steel 
behind God's word. Okay. If you can focus on God's word, we'll get something out of this. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. What? What's that next word? Listen to him. Okay, you're on top of the mountain. Let's build some tents, Jesus. Woohoo, we're going to have a good time. And then the cloud. This is my. I wish I could do a God voice. I can't. A cloud surrounds you, and you hear something talking from the cloud. What are you thinking? And, and it says, shut up. I mean, that's what God said. My son is talking. You need to shut up. Is there ever a time that, that you need to shut up and listen to God? Celebrate recovery. Y'all ever need to shut up? When you're at Celebrate Recovery, you ever need to shut up and listen to God? My question is, when you're praying, do you ever shut up and just listen? Because I don't think it's really praying until it goes both directions. Because what we'll do is we'll write down all my stuff. Here's all my junk. God, here's all my junk. We treat Him like Santa. Here's my list. You need to fix my list, Jesus. And, and Jesus is about to speak and we get up and run off. Have you ever opened the Bible and just read the these and the thous and verilies and gone, dude, can't handle that? Instead of saying, God, would you speak to me? Because God speaks all the time. Not in the God voice. I don't hear that. But anytime I listen, one time long before we had kids, I was supposed to preach at our church in Arlington and and I was really messed up because I found this out last minute and I, I was kind of stressed out because it's a fairly big church. And, and I said, I don't know what. And I'm, I just start praying, oh, God, speak to me. Show me what I'm supposed to do. To, you know. And so Janie said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just going to go out and pick some weeds. So I go out and I just get on my hands and knees in my yard and start picking weeds. And then just in the middle of me not thinking of anything but God, I, I get this impression, this is what you need to speak on. Are you sure? And man, you talk about the points just started coming. So like 10 minutes later, I walk back in and said, know what I'm going to preach on? She goes, how'd you get that? I said, I don't know. I just, I just hanging out with God picking weeds. Because when I was picking weeds, you know, I'm not thinking about picking weeds because I hate picking weeds. The point is, sometimes we just need to shut up. We run into God's presence all the time and we talk and talk and talk and talk. And then we run out and God's like... I had the answer for you, but because you're not listening, because you're too busy for me, I'll wait until you listen. Do you need to listen? You need to slow down so you can hear the voice of the wonderful counselor? Are you really listening? You know, we, we have that little saying, don't just stand there, do something. This was the complete opposite when the voice of God came from the cloud. Don't just do something, Peter, James, and John. Shut up and stand there. Just stand there. We're going to find out whether you're really listening at step four. Step four is do what the counselor tells you to do. You know what my doctor told me to do? 
wear a boot from Women's Health Boutique. Woohoo! So I'm wearing a boot from Women's Health Boutique, and it's, it's no fun. I have to wrap something on the inside because it's already raw in there. It's, I hate it. It hurts. It's not convenient. What the counselor tells you to do is not always logical. And I'm going to show you a story as we finish up here about one time when Jesus was talking directly to someone who came to him. Someone comes to him and says, Oh God, I have a need. Something's missing in my life. And Jesus tells him what to do. And the one thing the guy needed to do to get well, he refused to do. Here it is in Mark chapter 10. Teacher, the man replied, oh, I, I forgot to tell you this. Jesus rattles off all of these commandments. He says, do this, do this, do this, do this. And the guy said, I've done them all. Here it is. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed every one of these commandments since I was a child, since I was young. And Jesus looks at him and he feels genuine love for him. He said, well, okay, let's cut to the chase. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And you know what happens? The Bible says, the man went away very sad because he was rich. He was loaded. Now, I'm not telling all of you that you're supposed to sell everything and give it to the church. That's not what I'm telling you. But if you'll listen, Jesus is going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Jesus could have told this guy what he wanted to hear. Oh, you're a great dude. But Jesus knew he was going to hell because his sickness was he was so in love with material things that he refused to even listen to the Christ, the wonderful counselor. Jesus told him to go and sell his car, to sell his house, to sell his iPhone, his PlayStation, and his 65-inch TV. And he refused to do the one thing that the counselor told him to do. And if you keep refusing to do what God tells you to do, your spiritual life is a joke. Because here's what Jesus said. Your wonderful counselor says this in John 14, 15. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you to do. Love equals obedience. So if God's told you to do something and you're not doing it, you're saying to him, I don't love you. So my question for you today is real simple. Where are you sick? Because you're sick. I'm sick. In a few weeks on uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to do something called Cardboard Testimonies. If you were here last week, you, you saw that. If you want to get an idea, just, just go to YouTube and type in Cardboard Testimony. And people that have been healed by the wonderful counselor, the Pele Yachts, are going to stand up here. And, and they don't have to say anything. They're just going to stand up here. And across the cardboard is going to be their issue. They're going to turn the cardboard over. And they're going to talk about how they've been healed. I can't wait for that day. It is so powerful. And that night we're going to talk about the Prince of Peace. That's the name we're looking at from Christ. On Christmas Eve, the Prince of Peace, that baby in that manger offers you peace in exchange for your life. So take your registration cards and I'm just going to ask you some questions. I'm going to ask you to fill those out and then turn it over on the back. And I'm going to ask you which of these steps you need to take. 
Do you need to admit you're sick? Do you need to admit you have problems? If that's it, you write problems on the back of your card. Do you need to be brutally honest with the counselor? Do you need to confess to God your weaknesses and sins and failures and hurts and disappointments? You don't have to write all that down. Just write, be honest. Do you need to listen to the counselor? Because most of the time when people come to me for, for advice... I say, first of all, I'm, I'm a dip. I can, my children vouch for that. Any advice I give you is going to come out of here because this is God's Word. We talk about this. God said in the Old Testament, these, these are not idle words. These words are your life. And most of the time when you're coming to me for, for some advice, you've not even checked this out yet. And I'm going to tell you, well, the Bible says this. Yeah, but that tells me you're not serious. Yeah, but, yeah, but I want to do this. Yeah, but I feel like this. Yeah, but get your big butt out the door. That's a big butt. Okay. Wow. That's a joke. Thank you. Last one. Do you need to do what the counselor tells you? Just put obey there. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? We're going to pray, and then before you leave, we're going to take up the uh, offering for World Vision. And if you're not prepared to give today to World Vision, you can do that another time. We have envelopes out back, and anything you want to give that goes to World Vision, you put an envelope, write that on the outside. But we're going to actually pass the buckets here in a second. Father, would you make us aware of your incredible love for us and your desire to live better lives than we're presently living? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all go ahead and pass those buckets who's got them. Go ahead. Go ahead. We don't have any music going. Here's the thing. We have two baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. And just because you give in the World Vision basket doesn't relieve you of the responsibility to give in the joy basket. If you're a church member or regular attender, we expect you to give. And the, the basic level of, of a follower of Christ is 10%. It's called the tithe. And so this that we're doing is called an offering. There's a difference. The tithe is what you give to the local church. The offering goes over and above that. If you're a guest, we never ask for a dime of your money. This is our gift to you. We give sacrificially so that you can come and hear about the wonderful counselor who came for you. The other basket we have is the registration card basket. If you're a guest, we just do that because we're weird and we, have to, we, we make a noise for the other basket. So we make the, the sad sound for the other basket. Put your cards there. If you, have a regi- uh, if you have a prayer concern, please put that on there because I go through those on Sunday afternoons and throughout the week and, and I pray um, that God will meet your needs. Leadership lunch here. No small groups and homes tonight. You're dismissed.